All right. So uh, last week we we kind of it took us a couple of weeks to get through those two verses. Um, <laughs> it was. Uh, I hope it was helpful. I hope it was good for you. We talked about uh, the whole issue of judging and what we are allowed to and what we aren't allowed to and how we're supposed to judge. And uh, so we, we've covered that the last uh, two weeks uh, rather uh, a lot. <laughs> so hopefully that would, it was a help to you. Today we're going to take a look at another couple of verses. We're, we're not too far from finishing chapter four and getting into chapter five. But uh, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 13 and 14. We, we have to get through all the way through 17 to finish the chapter. My guess is today... If we if we just take 13 and 14, we'll uh, and maybe 15, we'll go a long way towards uh, uh, finishing up this chapter with just a couple of verses to go after that. So let's start with uh, reading um, verses 13 through 17, and then we'll uh, we'll dig in a little deeper into that. It says in verse 13 of Ch James chapter four, it says, "Now listen, you say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city." And we will spend a year there and carry on business and make money. Why do you even know uh, why you why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? It is like um, a, a little uh, vapor that just appears for a short time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. All right, that's kind of a combination of the NIV and, and my recollection of the, uh, <laughs> the King James kind of all molded together there for those of you who are actually looking at the passage in, in your particular translations. Uh, I find it kind of fascinating. We started off the beginning of chapter four talking about being at, odd with, at odds with God. And, and basically at war. And, and now we're going to end this chapter in talking about the will of God. I think the two things are kind of related because when a believer is out of the will of God, he becomes a troublemaker and not a peacemaker. And God wants us to be peacemakers. So um, if you think about it, think about the those that were that were believers that, that have, have disobeyed God and what happens when they're out of the will of God. Think of of Lot, who moves to Sodom and brings nothing but pain and sorrow to his family, loses family members as a result of that, uh, loses most of his wealth. Um, think of David, who commits adultery, and as a result of that, brings uh, trouble upon his family and upon his kingdom that lasts the, basically the rest of his life. There's, they're, they're at war with each other. Uh, think of Jonah. Uh, disobeys God. God says, go to Nineveh. You know, no, Jonah goes, yeah, I don't think so. Probably not for me, God, and goes in the opposite direction, you know, heads towards Tarshish, the other side of the Mediterranean, the whole, you know, all the way west, the very edge of, of, uh, of then the, the land that they were aware of. And the result of that is that uh, because he takes off in that direction, there's a, a shipload of sailors who are, who are pagans, who are heathens, who all to almost end up in a watery grave as a result of, of Jonah's disobedience. In, in every case, a wrong attitude towards the will of God causes problems. So we want to take a look at that, and we want to take a look at what that looks like and how that plays out in our life. Because 
I think one of the things that, that is is concerning, you know, my my mother, uh, bless her heart, she uh, she fought against me going into the ministry. She fought very hard, long, and one of her biggest concerns was the fact that she was afraid that God would take me far away, so that I'd end up on the mission field someplace, and I'd be far away, and she'd never see me, and she'd never see any grandkids we might have. <laughs> And it reminds me of uh, some people that you've, I've talked to over the years have said, you know, I'm, I'm afraid to give my life to the Lord. Why? I'd say, well, what are you afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that God's going to ask me to do something dangerous, something I don't want to do. And, you know, it's hard to explain to people, especially young people at times, that the dangerous life is not being in the will of God. The dangerous life is being out of the will of God. Yeah, it's sure it might be dangerous being in God's will, but it's a whole lot safer and ultimately because you're being and doing what God wants you to be and do. It comes down to this. What do you think about God's will? And what do you think? How do you how do you view God? Does God love you or is God wanting to punish you all the time and all and hate you? Which is it? And it reminds me of the passage out of uh, Psalm uh, 33, verse 11 where it says the counsel of the Lord stands forever and the thoughts of his heart to all generations. The idea of this is, is that God says, um, my will comes from my heart. It comes out of my love for you. The, the will of the Lord comes from the heart of the Lord. His will is an expression of his love. And really the idea is you, you don't have to be afraid of that. Now, it's interesting that how uh, James uses this particular passage because he says, he starts to say, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go into this or that city and we're going to spend the year there and carry on business. He's basically talking about merchants and traders. Now, this is kind of interesting because in Mediterranean history of that era, there weren't a lot of traders. There weren't a lot of negotiators. There weren't a lot of, of, uh, of merchants. Uh, most people lived within the, and, and did business. You know, they did all of their own stuff with the possible exception of the fabric industry uh, and maybe some you know, hard goods like you know, maybe you wanted a pot or a pan or something like that. But most of the wood and, and cotton was grown locally. Um, and, uh, and so there's only people that needed, you know, special, maybe they needed a coat made out of a particular, or wanted a coat made out of a particular material or shoes, uh, pots and pans, if you will, uh, uh, maybe a tent, uh, some things like that, maybe some metal working. Uh, those were the, 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 what the traveling salespeople had. They were kind of, you know, the, uh, the tinkers and, and the tailors and the, and the guys, you know, the travel from town to town selling their trinkets or selling goods. Um, it was kind of like uh, in our, in, in our country, in the early days of our country, you know, you had guys with, uh, they'd put stuff in a, in a, uh, uh, in a wagon and they'd go out and they'd sell whatever they had. They'd go from town to town. Uh, they 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 got along. They got fine. They they rarely got rich, at least from the standards of the average person, which the average person would be considered on the poor side. Uh, I was reading a, a, about um, one particular trader 
uh, in, the, in the Spanish market during that time frame. And it says that when he died, he left an inheritance to his people. He left an inheritance of a total of, there's Tom, good to see you, bud. Um, he, uh, he left an inheritance to his, to his family of about 70 pounds of gold, which sounds like at that time, a huge amount of gold. I mean, that would be pretty amazing. Except that he was definitely not part of the super rich, if you will, of his time frame, because even the most lowly sen senator of Rome uh, expected an income of between, you ready for this? Between 1,000 and 1,500 pounds of gold a year. Mm -hmm. That's a huge difference. That, that's like, you know, I guess like uh, Elon Musk or, you know, uh, I don't know, the guy that owns yeah, Amazon. Quite or, a lot like uh, Joe Biden and his yeah. son. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, Just he, he's talking about traders here. And, and he's talking about the fact that these traders are, are guys that, that go a long way. And, and sure, they amass some wealth, but not nearly as much as the average person. So, yeah, they're rich. They're maybe middle class, maybe, at, the, at best. And, and, you know, James directs his, his, his indictment, if you will, uh, about these traders who are self-directed instead of directed towards the church. He's, he's saying that these traders... Are the ones that are boasting about things and he gives kind of four arguments if you will about the foolishness of ignoring god's will first of all he talks about the complexity of life who knows what's going to happen tomorrow do we know do we even know what's going to happen after this hour okay. you know we could get in a car and uh, you know and, and something happened in the car the other day i was driving and suddenly my my tire pressure announced to me that it was low and I went to use my uh, compressor to put air in the tire. My compressor broke. I've had it for 20 years, so I ended up replacing it. I couldn't figure out how to fix it. Maybe someone else could have. I don't know, but I didn't. I couldn't. So I went out, went out and had to buy a new compressor. So you never know. I, I didn't expect to do that, but things happen. And uh, so there's a complexity of life. We have, and, and there's, a, there's a sense of mystery that we don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, we make assumptions and we make predictions and, and those of us who have been in business, you know, we do the same thing. We, we plan our business life out. We'd say, okay, or, or as we're entering close to retirement, we plan and say, um, here's what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm planning my life. And, and yet the, the issue is this, we have no idea what God plans for us. Some of us have been hit over this last year or last couple of years with some things. Did anyone ever expect COVID? No. Did we plan for it? No. We might have a few preppers, maybe. I don't know. Some of us have had some real health issues this year. Did we plan on having health issues? No. Did it make us more aware of the fact that God's plan for us it might be different than our plan? And then we say if we're going to make plans, we need to, to, to couch it with the idea of understanding that it's if this is what God's will is, that ultimately is how we need to remind ourselves about that. That the, the formula we use to plan our lives out needs to be couched and understood that if it's God's will, this is what we'll do. We talk about vapor in the in the life of the Middle East, and, and vapor is you know something that would come up. Uh, 
maybe right around dawn with the you know the the ad with the sun coming up and you'd get like fog if you will i remember when i was spending time with my brother-in-law when he used to live in uh, california we'd go and visit and uh, you know you'd look at it'd be an overcast day where we were but by the end of the day the the, the fog would lift or we'd just drive over the mountains and it would lift or today like when we live in michigan when it gets colder out, you notice how your breath, you can see the mist in the air when you breathe out. You see your, your, your uh, moisture of your breath. But it dis- doesn't stick around, does it? It just disappears like that. It's like a snap of a finger. And that's kind of what we're talking about, the uncertainty of life. There's also the sense that there's a brevity of life. You know, I'm reminded of the fact that, uh, remember the, the parable of the, the farmer who, uh, in Luke 12, says, man, I've had a bumper crop. I have had it unbelievable. My barn's too small. I'm going to tear down my old barns, build bigger barns, have great security for the future. And he says, and he says to himself, my soul, take your ease. You've laid up plenty of money. You're good for many years. You can eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, today I'm going to call you home. No one go. No one gets. Well, I suppose some people get buried with their treasure. I don't know, but most people they, you can't spend it if you, even if you bury it. You know, the, the Lord says to him in in Luke twelve uh, verse twenty says, "You fool! This night your soul shall be required of you." <laughs> there's no. There's an uncertainty to life. We have no idea how long it's going to be. Uh, Job talks about it, and he talks about how 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 fleeting his life is he says my days are swifter than a than a weaver's shuttle you know you've ever seen weavers that are weaving through i mean that shuttle can go pretty fast you know, when you're doing that a cloud is consumed and vanishes away a job compares his life to that he says our days on earth are like a shadow uh in another part in job he goes on to say that my days are swifter than a post like a, a royal courier who's taking his, uh, his uh, message from town to town that it can happen very, supposed to happen quickly, not supposed to take your time. Um, he talks about ships that pass in a way like eagles that hasten to the prey. You've seen eagles, we've seen uh, hawks, uh, you know, when they, when they dive on their prey, man, it's fast, it's not slow. You had a slow hawk or a slow uh, 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 eagle, they must be on a diet because they're not going to get a lot of food. It's a lot of food. So we need to count our, our, our years, but understand that God is the one who numbers our days. And our days are short. Uh, God gives us principles and precepts and promises and, guide, and, and, and it can guide us in every area of our life. But knowing and obeying God's word is often the best way to plan for success. Um give you a couple examples real quickly joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth meditate on it day and night and so you will be careful to do everything written and then then you will be prosperous and successful after meditating on the word of the lord um psalm 1 verse 3 uh, he is like a tree that's planted by a stream of water that yields its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Why? Because he's spending time digging deep into God's word. James talks about the fact that often we boast about things, and it's, it's really self-deception. 
we talked about the mist and the fact that you know it, it, it can appear for just a very short time and then just vanishes away. Uh, instead, it goes on to say, instead, you ought to say that if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Um, you ever been presumptuous about God's will? You ever gone to him and said, hey, God, I got my life planned out. Just give me your official okie-dokie. Put your, put your signature right here. Make your mark, and, and I'll get on with my life. I, I did that as a college student. I, that's the way I was treating my life. I had it all planned out as to what I planned to do. You know, I, I'd already picked out a gal who I planned to marry. I, I had my, my whole future laid out for me. And God just took and shook the tree and just said, nah, not so much, man. I got another plan for you. It's total, It's similar, but different. Jesus said that he came to do God's will. And he encouraged his disciples to do God's will. Uh, and I think that James is saying the same thing here. You know, um, there can be times in your life, though, when it's difficult to discern what direction God wants you to go in. Absolutely. You know, I've had those periods myself. Yep, yeah. I have too. There are times when you go, okay, I have no idea. And so you sometimes you have to sit and wait. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, okay, I have two choices. I'm not sure which is right. So you make a choice and you say, God, if it's wrong, you know, close the door, redirect me if necessary, as the case may be. So this whole issue is how do we do God's will? What does it say about this? And I want to spend a little time. Uh, I've got uh, one series of, of four points and another series of five points, which I could make a whole sermon out of just the four or the five, but we're going to try to cram it all into one session with us here with the time we have left to, yet to remain. So I want to talk a little bit about Jesus says in John 4, he says, my food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who has sent me and to finish his work. That's that's my that's my food. That's what sustains me. That's what Jesus says. Paul says in a couple of different passages in Romans, two passages in Romans, Romans 1 and Romans 15. In Romans 1, verse 10, he says, My prayers at all times, I pray that now at last God's will and way may be opened for me to come to you. Paul makes plans, but Paul says, you know what? I'm doing it based upon what I think God's will is. And when God opens the door, I will come. But until then, I'm not going to. Because I say in verse in chapter 15, verse 32, and so that by God's will, I may come to you and enjoy, with joy and together with you be refreshed. So the plan is even Paul, the great planner, he is, I'm going to go on a missionary journey. But he feel, he finds out that there are places he goes and God says, no, you can't go there. Remember, he's trying to go in different parts of Turkey and, and God keeps closing the door. No, I don't want you to go. No, I don't want you to go there. And then he has a vision in the middle of the night. And it says it's like a man from Macedonia says, come over here and minister to us. And he goes. So sometimes we have to wait upon the Lord. First Corinthians chapter four, verse 19 says, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. Then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they may have. <laughs> We're going to get to 1 Corinthians soon, probably next year, the way things are looking. The way. <laughs> but we're going to get there. And in, <laughs> and in verse in chapter 16, it says, I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. 
you know, here's the thing. Paul did not consider the will of God a chain that shackled him. Rather, it was a key that opened the doors and set him free. I think one of the problems that we often have is that we see God's will as restraining us versus giving us freedom. Think of it this way. We've been designed a particular way. And the designer knows uh, what, we're, what we're best capable of doing and being based upon uh, how he's designed us. If you're a train, it's kind of hard to go off-roading. You know? But as long as you're on the tracks, you can go anywhere the tracks are. And you can go as fast as you possibly can. As long as you stay on the tracks. But as soon as you jump the tracks, you're not going to go very far. We, we've all seen, I'm sure we've seen movies, chase movies, you know, where, you know, somebody has a four-wheel drive vehicle and they go off-road and somebody's got a car. Maybe it's the police. And eventually the police can't go any further because why? Because the car isn't designed to do what an off-road vehicle can do. And so it gets stuck, right? That's what we have to realize is that God has a plan for us and what we're best at and how we're best able to accomplish it is when we stay within the plans that God has for us, we can accomplish great things. We all have, the universe has laws that, and the universe operates on laws. And when we cooperate with those laws, we obey them. And the universe works with us. But if you fight the law and disobey the law, the universe kind of works against us. Isn't that how we figured out how to fly? You know, the, the, the way that the, the, uh, the, the plane, the, you know, the, uh, uh, yeah, what is it? the wings work, you know, they're set a certain way that creates lift. But if you try to go against it, it doesn't work so well. Uh, engineers obey laws based upon designs that they built a plane. A pilot obeys the laws to fly. It, it works out pretty well for them. Uh, when they disobey the basic law of flight, usually what happens? crash yeah yeah the same thing is true with christians when when you're in god's will when you yield to him uh god uh when we yield to god's will there are certain things we're going to avoid because they we're not supposed to sexual immorality or we're, we're supposed to avoid that christians are, are supposed to rejoice and pray and thank god when we do that thing you know god is pleased every commandment the bible addresses to believers is part of the will of god and must be obeyed and the problem is too often we think that we can get around that. Um, God's will is not a, a cold and personal machine. Remember I, I, I mentioned Psalm uh, 33 where it says, I think it's verse 13, it says that, that, that the will of God, basically the counsel of God comes from his heart. It, it, he's a loving God. He wants to have a relationship with us. So Rather than looking at God's will as being cold and impersonal, maybe I need to consider it that it's warm and growing in a living body and he wants to have a relationship with me. And, and maybe the thing I have to remember is that God's, my relationship with, with the will of God is a growing experience. And that's the first of the four things I want to talk about. Uh, our relationship is with the will of God should be a growing experience. The first thing we need to realize is we need to know his will. We need to know his will. Uh, Acts uh, twenty two fourteen talks about that. 
we, we need to realize that God's will is not difficult to discover if we're willing to obey. He's willing to reveal it to us. Uh, obedience is the organ of spiritual knowledge. You want to know how to get spiritual knowledge? Be obedient. Do the things you already know to do. Um, now, you, get, you can't just stop with just simply knowing some of God's will. Here's the thing. Some of us will go, you know what? I only want to know just a little bit of God's will, and that's good enough for me. And if that's all you do, you're in trouble. I've been in trouble. I was going, you know what? I've got enough of God's will. I don't need any more. No, no, no. We need to know all of it. God does not reveal his will to the curious or the careless. He only reveals his will to those who are willing to obey him. How are you doing with, the, with what you already know to do? Are you doing that? Because if you already know what to do, it's, it's, there's a, there's an, I don't know if it's a true story or not. I'll say it's an apocryphal story of John, uh, the Apostle John, in his last days. He's in Ephesus. This is after the Isle of Patmos. He's kind of a broken man, and I'm told that he was carried into the church because he could hardly walk. And basically, every day, every time he was in church, he had just one thing to tell the church, as to love one another. And and the story supposedly goes well. When you know, John, when will you tell us something else? Give us the next part of the story, the next part of your sermon. He says, "When you got that down, I'll go to the next point." <laughs> How are you doing with what you already know to be God's will? Are you being obedient, or are you being disobedient? How could? Why would God show you more when you're not willing to do what He's already revealed to you? And by the way, I have to point the finger at myself most of the time on that. It's not enough just simply to know God's will. God wants us to, in, in Colossians 1, 9, says to be filled with the knowledge of his will and with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, it's, it's, it's wrong to want to know God's will uh, about some matters and ignore his will about other matters. Everything in our life is important to God. God wants us to understand his will, Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what God's will is. So that's the next thing. God wants us to understand. God's not trying to hide his will from you. He really isn't. Sometimes his will is for us to wait. That's been my heart's problem, my life, waiting on the Lord. Sometimes I... Have you ever had, most of us, many of us have had dogs, right? Have you ever had a dog on a leash or even off a leash and you, you start to walk? The dog wants to get ahead of you. But what's he constantly doing? Turning around and looking at you to see if you're going, coming in the same direction he is or if you got something else in mind. Why? He's ahead of you. If he was right beside you, he'd know exactly what you're going to do. He'd know when you turn. So often we run ahead of God. Uh, three, uh, the third point here is that God wants us uh, to prove his will. To prove his will. Uh, Romans 12, 2. Uh, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve or prove God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Uh, the, the idea there in the Greek is that it's proven by experience. I know because I've lived out God's will. Uh, 
So you might, some people say, oh, how, how do I determine God's will for my life? It might be that what they're doing is they're announcing to everyone that they never really tried to do God's will in the first place. Start with what you already know and do that. And then God will be open to the next step. Uh, by the way, if you fail, that's okay. Because we learn from failures as well as mistakes. Uh, in, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. It's okay to learn. It's okay to make mistakes as you go along. God doesn't expect you to be perfect this side of heaven. I'm reminded of the uh, Psalm 119 where it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, Tom, I know you, uh, Rick, has been to, to Israel. Uh, we were together, the three of us. Uh, maybe some of you others have gone to Israel too. I don't know. Uh, Giuseppe, maybe Giuseppe's been there. I don't know. Um, we got, when we were in uh, Nazareth, we got a, a little uh, oil lamp that was the type of oil lamps that they used to light their houses. Now, it was a replica, and I thought about buying one. I ended up buying a little jar of oil that, to keep oil in that was uh, an antique. It was from the time of David that I bought. But the little light that I have was a replica of it. And it's just, I mean, it's no longer than my finger. It's smaller than that, I think, and only about maybe an inch and a half wide. It was just enough light to see for like maybe the next step. And that's what Psalm is saying there in Psalm 119. He says, that the light that, that from your word is enough to, to reveal the next step, but it's not going to reveal all. It's, it's not like a halogen light. It's going to go for a mile and you can see everything that's in the future. You, no, you're going to know just enough to get to the next step. You have to trust God. I and came then, uh, I came across uh, uh, some writing from one of your favorite authors that said the whole questioning dialogue process with God is divine in itself. That Jesus points to it. The Old Testament points to it. That there's nothing wrong with questioning God and dialoguing with God in prayer. Is that uh, He values that? Yep. God doesn't mind us asking questions. Now, here's the problem. Too often. We ask questions about stuff he's already revealed to us. And I've got to imagine there's a, a, occasionally Jesus or, or the God the Father has a bit of a face palm. <laughs> doing this again. You know, did you not get it the first time? I'm Probably all the time with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that God has a permanent uh, spot on his head where he's been hitting his hand for me, you know, over my life, over the course of my life. I think the last final point. Go ahead, someone else. Edwin? I I was going to say, do you think that's really true? Because he knows everything. <laughs> well, I'm putting physical uh, uh, yeah. human characteristics to a God who is not human. Remember, God describes Himself in human terms to help us get an understanding of Himself. And I sometimes I obviously equate things that are probably not accurate. Just remember, you're talking about a God who's multi-dimensional, way beyond me. And he's trying to explain himself in something that I'm capable of understanding. I was just thinking, I don't think he would uh, smack his head with his palm if he already knew he was going to have to go through that with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, but I'm sure he and me. knows he's going to go through it. He's still <laughs> slightly disappointed that I've, I'm so slow to learn. I think it's more important that he, he expresses to you that he would smack his face because you made such a drastically simple answer 
to a complex problem. <laughs> well, just remember this: his ways are higher than my ways, and his thoughts are a whole lot bigger than mine. So, <laughs> me, me too, me too. <laughs> you know, when it, when it comes to God, God God loves us enough that even children can understand a lot about Him. But even the, the most brilliant mind will never be able to delve the entire depth of God's mind, at least this side of heaven. And I'm pretty sure that even on the other side, that we're not going to know everything that God knows. Because that would make us eh, equal with God. And I'm pretty sure I'm not. Yeah. Not that we don't want to, but I don't think we need to. Well, yeah. The, know everything. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes if we knew everything. You know, even Paul is told that he, he kind of has an idea of what's going on. But I, aren't you kind of glad you don't know everything that's going to go on in your life? Would you have chosen to know the stuff that you've had to go through? Yeah. I wouldn't change it, but yes. Yeah. It's one thing after you've gone through it, you go, hey, I, you know, I, I don't think I'd change it for the world. But boy, while in the midst of it, I'm going, you know, if there's a way of passing the torch on this, taking, you know, someone else finishing <laughs> this cup, that'd be great. I think the final point here is that we must do God's will from the heart and not because we have to, because we want to obey them, not only to win their favor when their eyes are on you, but like slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Ephesians 6, 6. How often do I do God's will, but I do it grudgingly? Okay. I'm like the little kid that's kicking stones and going, okay, fine, I'll do it. I don't really want to, but I'm going to. Does it sound like anybody else? You know, we've not done Jonah. One of these days we'll have to do Jonah. What a great book. You know, Jonah knows God's will. And after getting, you know, spiritually and basically physically spanked, he eventually does God's will, right? But he didn't do it from his heart. He gets through and, pre and he preaches, and there's a whole revival in Nineveh, and he's out in chapter the last chapter. He's out on the on the you know on the, uh, outside the city up on a hill, you know, waiting for God to destroy them, and upset because God doesn't do it because they repented. And in any case, you know, he's an angry God who, who did not love the Lord, and nor did he love the people of Nineveh. And he merely did God's will simply because he didn't want to yeah, get no. out of spanking. Well, yeah, he didn't have a choice. Yeah. You know, um, the Lord says in, uh, Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he says that, that the Lord loves a cheerful giver, that we shouldn't give grudgingly or out of necessity. Grudgingly means reluctantly or painfully. You know, like it really hurts to give. It really hurts my pocketbook. It hurts me to give. Okay, you know. Yeah. Of necessity means that we don't do it under compulsion. I think the secret to a happy life, and this is one of those things that I constantly have to be reminded of. I wish I could, I wish I could get this firmly planted in my mind. The secret of a happy life is delight in doing God's duty, doing the duty we have that God asks us to do. Duty becomes light when the burdens become a blessing. Again, from Psalm 119, 
Your statutes have become my songs in the house of my pilgrimage. Your statutes, they're, they're, they're a joy to me. Is it, are you joyful in doing what God tells you to do or are you doing it grudgingly? It's valid. It's like, a, it reminds me of this, the story in Matthew where the, of the two sons. The wow, prodigal the, and, the, and the old elder brother. No, no, not the prodigal and the other, but oh. the two sons where the, the, the one son is asked to go, to, the sons are asked to go to the vineyard. The one says, I'll go. The other has a change, says, doesn't, says he won't go. He has a change of heart and goes. And which is the son that truly obeyed the father? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. 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 That's great. You know, when we love God, I think being obedient to him and, and his statutes become songs. And it's easy for us to enjoy serving him. When we serve God grudgingly or because we have to, because we're forced to, we may accomplish his work, but we ourselves probably miss out on a blessing. And I think we certainly miss out on the reward. It'll be a toil. It won't be a ministry. When we do God's will from the heart, we're enriched. And no matter how difficult the task might be, it is something that brings us joy. I think I told you one of my early ministries, I was being paid basically 10 hours a week to work at a church. I, I kept track of my time one year. I spent an, on average about 32 to 35 hours a week and was paid for 10. It didn't bother me a bit. I loved every minute of it. It was probably one of the most rewarding times of my life because I did it out of joy. I did it out of, of love for God. I did it out of love for the ministry. I did it because I wanted to, not because I was being paid to do it. Now, there have been other times and that's not been the case, obviously. But here's the thing. We, we need to realize that when we fail, because sometimes we're going to fail. Uh, we know God's will. We don't do God's will. Um, by being disobedient to God, it does not permanently affect our relationship with God unless we are unbelieving and we've never accepted Christ as our Savior. But if we're true believers of God, if we're true followers of God, even when we fail, it's great to know that 1 John 1, 9 is still true. And this is written to believers. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to learn from our mistakes. The thing is, do we have a heart that loves God? Even David, David was man, who's called a man after God's own heart, even in the midst of his failures. Abraham who prostitutes out his, his wife several times, who goes against God's will in having a relationship with, with, his, uh, with his wife's uh, servant, slave, if you will, so they can have a, a child. He's still called a friend of God with as many screw-ups as he had. So we need to learn from our mistakes. Now, here's the... the Dude, I got five points. We're not going to make it. All right. We're not going to try to make it. We'll deal with that next week. And the, what we're going to deal with next week is this. Or uh, Yeah, next week. What are the benefits of doing God's will? There are benefits when we do God's will. And he wants us to know what they are. 
deal with that next week. We'll finish this up and we'll probably finish up the rest of this chapter because we only have uh, uh, 16 and 17, 15, 16, 17. So God willing, we'll do that next week. All right. Any thoughts? You need to take off? That's fine. Go for it. I'm going to stop the recording now.